All right, let's open up to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll dive in to the, the main passage. There'll be several other scriptures that we'll look at. I think many of them should be in your notes. 2 Peter 1, this is a passage that we went through as a church not too long ago with the help of Jim Berg. And so this should be a familiar passage for you. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by ye, these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Great passage, and let's go back to verse 4, where it says uh, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Is that really true for the Christian, to be partakers of the divine nature? Uh, I think that it sometimes seems far out or maybe it just seems to be just not our experience. Uh, there's nothing divine about my nature. There's nothing divine about my experience. And uh, boy, I got, I've got all kinds of problems. And it can definitely be something that we struggle with, but we need to grapple with it tonight. And I was, I was blessed as I studied this, this lesson. In fact, I think of all the lessons that we've gone through so far, this one has, has ministered the most to me. So we'll see how it does for you, okay? But I've been blessed already in, in preparation, and I hope that this will be of help to you as well. I thought that the lesson was very well written. I'm going to read from it. I, I don't like to just read up here, but I'm going to read several key sections because I thought it was just so well written and, and put together. Let's start a little illustration here that you can help me with. Everybody just, in a, in a word or phrase, tell me what you do, all right? So we're going to start over here. Shane, well, you're kind of in between things, but you're, you're, you're in between, but your trade would have been engineering. There we go. Okay. And a lot of other stuff, a lot of, and you have a daycare center and over here, physician, physician, stay home mom, computer science, housewife, Excellent. Yes, or if you're, or, or, yeah, what you do, or if you're retired or retired, that's awesome. Jason, Cindy, nurse. Yes, all right. Marie, amen. Great. Automotive engineer, Ford, okay. Uh, he got a little commercial in there too. And this is live stream. They should give you a bump and pay for that. <clears throat> Free advertising. All right. Sam. Filmmaker. Awesome. Some good films, too. I'll put a plug in for him. Amen. There we go. Everything. <laughs> Everything at church. Amen. Yep. Yes. Dog training and breeding and all that. Amen. All right. And I am a pastor uh, here at Ann Arbor Baptist Church. And I guess we could go a lot further, right? All of us could have. Uh, husband, wife, grandfather, you know, and, and it goes on and on and on. Oh, no. Why did I do that? Well, one, to get us all talking. Okay. But two, because we're talking about identity tonight in the lesson. And for most of us, the way we relate in our society today, most of us, uh, we, re we relate to each other. We find our, our place, our fit, our worth by what we do, by what we contribute. 
Uh, you know, people will go to a certain church and they'll say, yeah, I was there for a year and it didn't work out. Well, why not? I didn't fit. Okay, well, why not? Well, they just didn't have a place for me. What do you mean? Well, there's nothing for me to do. And a lot of times it always comes back to do or what they do is different than what I do and so therefore we didn't, we didn't connect. And, um, and, and a lot of us, we, 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 find, we find so much fulfillment wrapped up in what we do. There's nothing wrong with doing. You need to do. Do what God's called you to do. Uh, but where we run into trouble is where we are in a certain relationship and, and we, we're trying to maybe be a certain thing or measure up to a certain measurement in order to achieve uh, a sense of worth with that individual. Um, so illustration that comes to, 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 to my mind right off the bat would be a father-son relationship. And a lot, of, a lot of sons have struggled with their relationship with their dad because they feel like dad had expectations on me of what I was supposed to do, who I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to accomplish, and all these great things, and the son feels like I'm just not there and I'll never be there. Now, you don't have to raise your hand to this, but some of you may have been, that might have been your experience. Or a mother with a daughter, and, and you're saying, man, I'll never be like mom, but mom wants me to be this. And, and, and your, your relationship with mom or dad is strained because you feel like you're not doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, or at least to the extent that you should be doing it. And so, uh, from the book, we often associate our identity with our behavior. Can anybody relate to that? Your identity is associated to your behavior. And so, we often think that what we do is who we are. <clears throat> so, a minute ago, I just said, tell me what you do. And uh, I could have rephrased it. I could have said, so tell me who you are. And you might have said your name, and you might have gone further. I'm Jonathan Barber, and I'm a pastor. And what we do, we just wed with our name. Jonathan Barber is my name, and, and, and pastoring is, is who I am. And so what we, uh, our identity is linked to our activity and what we are. Now, uh, that's a lot, of, a lot of times how it works in society, but when we translate our, uh, this to our, our walk with the Lord, this can be problematic. And I love how he says it here in the book, and he repeats it over and over and over and over. Uh, and that is this simple truth, that Jesus accepts you by birth, not by behavior. So that's going to be the theme of this lesson. We all tend to associate our identity with our behavior, and we define ourselves by what we do, but that is not how Jesus uh, looks at us and prays the Lord for that. Um, you know, with, uh, let's go back to that father-son thing a, min a minute ago. Uh, the father has great plans for the son and take over the family business that we've had since 1785 or whatever. You know? And you're going to do this and that and the other thing. It's going to be great. Oh, son, you're just not doing what I want you to do. You need to come up to snuff here and, and get with the program. And the son just feels like, oh, I'll never be like dad. I'll never be like grandpa. And I'll never be able to do this. And, and then the relationship becomes strained. And there's discouragement and so forth. Well, the same thing happens in the Christian life. This was driven home to me when I went through a little health uh, crisis or setback in 2015. And that's something that I have referenced many times in my preaching. I'm sorry. Hopefully you're not too terribly tired of it. But I learned a lot through it. So it comes up a lot in my preaching. And, and uh, I, I realized that if you were to boil that whole crisis of mine down to one word and say, sum it up, what was that crisis? What kind of a crisis was it? It was about identity, an identity crisis, I guess. <laughs> it was about identity. It was about, uh, I had to realize who I was in the Lord. And my relationship was not just about what I did for him. It was about who I was in him. So in order for me to see it, because I never, ever could have seen it on my own. There's no way I could have seen it on my own. The Lord had to take away everything that I did for him. 
and put me in a place where I couldn't do anything for him. Well, I could, but I couldn't do the things I was used to doing. So to me, I couldn't do anything for God. And I was sitting uh, on the sidelines. I had to cancel all of my precious evangelistic meetings. That really messed with my head, by the way. It messed with my faith, too, because it's like it became theological. Like, okay, God, you want people to be saved. Every year, my summer is packed wall-to-wall with evangelistic meetings. I keep vigorous journals of how many kids came, how many got saved, and it's been hundreds every year. There's no reason to think that hundreds more won't be saved this year. And my health breaks, and I'm on the sidelines, and now, you know, some kids might still get saved, but a lot of the guys were not going to reschedule. They they were just going to cancel. They weren't going to do anything because they couldn't pull the cola clash off by themselves. They needed me and my team. Uh, uh, and we didn't do the cola clash at that point. We called it something else, but nonetheless, same, same idea. Uh, so I, I, I was thinking, what in the world? I mean, Lord, don't you love souls? I mean, that's a stupid thing to, to think, right? But we, we think these thoughts. And what is this about? What could be so important that you would take me off the road and cancel it all? During uh, the sabbatical, we were just on the sabbatical in June, uh, we went over to see friends of ours in Birmingham, Michigan. Uh, we were on staff as a staff evangelist in Ohio before we came here. And there was another family, uh, the Holloways, and they were uh, all things music at our church in Ohio. And the Lord opened the door for them to go to Birmingham as the music pastor one month before he opened the door for us to come here as the pastor. So uh, there was this, this exodus. I felt so bad. They did too. Like, we're, we're leaving all at the same time. Sorry, we, we had not conspired together. This is just how it worked. Uh, but we, we got close to the Holloways during that time when I was sick. And, and before they left and we left, uh, I remember Brother Holloway uh, taking me out to eat. And at that point, I had no appetite. Um, and, and he wanted to share with me some things. And he had gone through a health trial. He had gone through cancer, and it was very, very serious. And he said, John, God's going to teach you something here in this time that you're off the road. Uh, you need to slow down. You don't look good. I thought, everyone kept telling me that. I hated that. I got off the road, and I, I came to church because I, 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 I was... I was uh, I was a mess, but I didn't know I was a mess. And I get there and people say, oh, you don't look good. What, <laughs> what in the world? I hated that. He, he, he said, but I have advice for you. And this is it. It was two words at that restaurant. He said, I have advice. Here's my advice. You're going to sit home and here's what you're going to do. Love God. And I just waited for the rest of it. You know, I'm chewing and... Okay, was, it, was that it? You took me out to eat to tell me to sit home and love God? <laughs> what, who do you think I am? Or what do you think I've been doing? And like, what, what do you think about my relationship with the Lord? Like, I don't love the Lord. Or, I mean, I, but then I, I respected him so much. I thought, okay, hang on. There's more to this. I've got to figure this out. And it took me a while to get it. But I finally began to see what God was trying to show me, that I loved serving God. I loved what I did for God. I loved the meetings. I loved, I loved my journals too. Journaling all the reports of who came and how many came, how many got saved and oh, pouring over this. And I'm not saying any of that is wrong necessarily in and of itself. But uh, I was go, 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 go. I remember going to an evangelist retreat. Uh, evangelist Dwight Smith would put on this retreat every New Year's. Because no evangelist gets called to preach on, or, uh, on New Year's. I mean, I don't know if you get any meetings on New Year's, not, not hardly. Uh, and so a bunch of us evangelists would always get together on New Year's, and we'd pray together, and we'd pray about the New Year, and he would always give us uh, advice that he had learned. Uh, he's a great friend uh, to this day, uh, and a great example. And he would talk about taking breaks in the ministry, and don't take so many meetings back to back to back, you'll burn out and all this. And I thought, I don't get that at all. I don't understand. I'm never tired. I'm loving what I'm doing. It doesn't stress me out. It doesn't wear me out. What do you need a break for? I mean, I only take a break when I have to take a break because the meeting, no meetings filled in the schedule. Uh, I just want to go, 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 go. I loved serving God. This was also where God showed me uh, in this time in my life. God showed me that I was a Martha, not a Mary. And you know that story. Mary is cumbered about serving 
Martha was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and I, I was all wrapped up in everything I did for God. So when I couldn't do any of that anymore, I struggled to know. I mean, I was upside down. I didn't know how to do anything. I hardly knew how to pray. It, it was like my whole context for everything that I do is no longer there. Now how do I, how do, I do all this? And that's when I began to realize my identity is not in what I do. It is in who I am in Christ. And so before I would have always said, I'm an evangelist. I'm an evangelist. That's what I am. I'm an evangelist. Uh, now I'm a child of God. That's, that's first and foremost. I am a child of God. And he has allowed me to do a lot of things, be a pastor, a husband, a, a father, and so forth. And there's all the different things and hats that we wear. But this is so helpful to, to keep that relationship primary. That's my identity. Now, there's two sides to this. I do want to hear from you all. So if you have something, throw up your hand, and, and, and we'll, 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 we'll uh, uh, definitely take comments and feedback. Um, I mentioned we tend to associate our identity with our behavior. We define ourselves by what we do. That can be both a positive thing and a negative thing. So the story I just gave you was more of a positive thing. I'm doing all these good things for God, and that's my identity. But it also works the other way. What if you're not doing a lot of good stuff? What if your behavior is not good? That can mess up your relationship with the Lord as well. So uh, that, can, that can cause you to wonder, uh, boy, what's wrong with me? Am I, am I really a child of God? Am I really saved? And, and uh, look at my behavior. Look at all the stuff that I'm doing. This isn't Christian. This isn't right. And then we're tempted, again, to define our identity by our behavior rather than our birth. So for me, it was all about what I do. I'm a Christian, but I'm a, I'm a soul winner. I'm an evangelist. I'm a doer. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. I'm, I'm a doer. And that was good in a sense, except I, I, I got off on that and left the relationship. The relationship got dry. Then there's the, the other side of the coin. I'm defeated. I never will have victory over this sin. This is just who I am. I am, I am always going to be this way. <clears throat> and therefore, we lose the relationship as well that way. It's a no-win coin, whichever side it falls on. Maybe you've had your own illustration of this in your life. And if you have something you want to share at any point, you can interject. Uh, but God defines you by your birth, not your behavior. You belong to him because of your belief, your faith. <clears throat> Made an interesting, made an uh, interesting point in the in the book here. In Bible times, a person's identity was a, a function of family heritage, more more of a function of family heritage than it is today. Think of all of the chronicles: so and so, the son of so and so, the son of so and so, the son of so and so. And the priests were put from the priesthood because why? They could not tell their lineage. They 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 couldn't say son of son of son of you know and so forth. Uh, it was a big deal, and and. and uh, uh, he makes the point, prior to American individualism and the breakdown of the biblical family, people define themselves by their families, by their birth, not their behavior. And we don't even think that way anymore, hardly. It's, it's almost so dead in America. Nobody cares uh, who your dad is. Maybe in some circles they do still to this day, but not like it was for uh, the Jews. In Christianity, or as we're looking at here, real Christianity, uh, there is a, a, an identity that has to do with us being born in him. Uh, Sam, is the, is the notes not working on the screen? It's all right if it's not. I just... Okay, well, they got notes in their lap. We, won't, we, we don't need to worry about it if it's, if it's not going to work. Uh, all right, so uh, birth versus behavior. And many of us have been saved for years before we begin to, to realize uh, that, that we are saved by grace and we need to walk by grace. Many of us live like orphans in an orphanage trying to please an angry headmaster. And while it is true, and this is key, while it is true that not any behavior is acceptable to God, 
It is also true that my behavior does not determine God's love for me. So I like that, that uh, balance there. It is true that not any behavior is, is acceptable to God. But it's also true that my behavior does not determine God's love for me. I am accepted, and that's based on Jesus, not based on my behavior. Yes? Absolutely. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's our response to him. And, and that comes out of a foundation, though. It is a foundation in a relationship. So that it's not that we do that in order to earn the relationship. It's because he loves us, we're his children, we love him, therefore that comes out of that relationship. And I, I, so you're right. If you love me, keep my commandments. But I think we get that cart before the horse where I have to keep, yes. <clears throat> message in verse 23 to me it's like what you're saying here it's like the key to it it says if if a man loves me he will keep my words so the focus is on you choose jesus then you access his power which means you keep his commandments so it's not that's in the commandments it's that how you get there is by choosing the person that's which, good yeah which amen. Is, you know what you're after here within all of this but it doesn't negate the fact that the outcome is right right but the focus isn't the outcome it's the person right i got that wrong for years and so it's important to note that he is not saying behavior is not important he's saying that behavior is not where our identity is found it's in our birth then the behavior needs to come out of that and he's going to say more of that about that as we get, as we get going Like, especially in the secular world, usually the first question people ask you is what you do. Mm -hmm. That's usually the first question. And so most of us, like you said, I do agree with that. Our identity is in our works. Right. It's, it, it, for most of us, it's in our career. In our worth, yeah. If you have a really yeah. top-notch level career. Wow, that's great. And if you don't, uh, you know, what is that? Uh, you know. Yes, right. So let's think about a father with his children. Children are accepted into their family by birth. They did not earn their way in or pay their way in or whatever. Uh, they just were born into the family. They don't have to earn the family name, though, again, depending on the, the, the family, some fathers might make a kid feel that way. You have to earn this name. Well, technically, he's got it forever, pal. You know, But there can be some pressure in that regard. Uh, but simply put, you're, my kids are my kids, period. And uh, though they're sinful and they're imperfect, I still will love them and I still will care for them and uh, I, will, I will always, uh, no matter what they do, no matter where they go, I'm always going to be their father and I'm always going to love them. And my kids are young and they've made mistakes, and some things are, are very, very heartbreaking. Our kids are young enough that they haven't even had the capacity to do like some of the major things, but I pray, and I think, boy, I, uh, my kids could do anything. There's nothing that we're not capable of in, in my household, and I just, I, but I've told my kids, no matter what you end up into, who you end up with, or whatever happens, you have mom and dad, and you can talk, and, and you have a, a father and a mother who love you. I don't want you to ever be pushed from us because of your decisions. Oh, my, my behavior is so bad, I can never show my face to mom and dad again. If they have that understanding, that's on me. I did something wrong as a parent to make them think that their behavior could be so bad that they could never come back to my presence. I don't want that. Uh, so am I interested in my kid's behavior? absolutely <laughs> what i have to be careful about 
It has that I'm not overly interested in their behavior. And, and all I think about is their behavior and not think about our relationship and, 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 and what's at the root of all this. And so as we think of us with our kids, let's think of God with us. Is he interested in our behavior? Yes, he is. But does our behavior determine our belonging, our identity, or our acceptance in Christ? And as the book puts it, he says, not even a little bit. Those aspects of their relationship are in no way dependent on their behavior. It's all about birth. So we'll break this down into four, four parts. You should have this in your notes. Four aspects of our relationship with God that are fully in place at the moment we are born again <clears throat> into his family. Number one, newborn equals 100% new creature. Newborn equals 100% new creature. A newborn baby, if you've had children, you know what this was like. It's a miraculous gift of God. It is, uh, it's amazing to welcome that baby into the world. And we've done it five times now, and each time has been equally as special. But from the beginning, they're cute, but they're also messy. They make messes from day one <laughs> from the get-go uh, and uh, sometimes they're a trial even from day one i remember that first week with our firstborn and i thought we will never sleep again <laughs> i could not believe how on earth can this kid cry all night long like like that's unreal well my wife says because he sleeps all day long i'm like well we're going to change that I'm going to keep him awake. And we try to do things. Yeah, right. You just sleep through whatever you tried to do, sleep all day long and cry all night long. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it can be, it can be there can be trials and so forth. But nonetheless, uh, we love that child just as much. All right. Well, the same is true with Christians. God makes us new creatures the moment we get saved. And yet we have to, to mature and grow a lot. There's a lot of work left to do. There is no immediate, now I'm glorified uh, situation. Now, thank the Lord, when we get saved, there are things that change immediately, and there are things that are immediately get put into place, but you're still going to mature, and there are going to be spiritual messes along the way. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're new in Christ. 100% new creature. And that is based upon the fact that you were born again. It's not based upon the fact that all of a sudden you started doing everything that you were supposed to do. No, you're going to begin walking with him. You're going to begin growing in him. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Again, there's that, that phrase, you're a new creature in him. It's not about the works, it's about being new in Christ. Second uh, Peter 1.4, whereby we are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these things you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. When I got saved, when you got saved, we became new. We have a new nature. We were not merely reformed. We were not, uh, you know, just remodeled. <laughs> okay, we are made new. Uh, as he puts it here, not a fresh paint job. It's rather God crucified your sin nature, the old man, and created within you a new nature. Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, God didn't move in next to your sin nature. He crucified your sin nature on the cross. And you were recreated as a new creature, as the, as the, the, the heading says, 100%. We are new in him. Now again, this does not mean that you're not going to have sin. It does not mean that your flesh with all those habits cannot still uh, uh, you know, trip you up, certainly. But it means for the first time that you're no longer under the control of that sinful nature from Adam. It was crucified and you are now uh, born 
again. You're made new. When you were born as a human little baby, you were 100% human. You weren't becoming human. You were 100% human. Very mature, very much needing growth, but you are new, a new creature. And this is critical for us to realize this in our Christian life as well. If you believe it's your nature to sin, how's that going to affect your, your daily walk? I've heard Christians say this. Oh, it's just my nature. It's just my destiny. My dad, my mom, we're Irish or whatever. Sorry, Irish people. Or, you, know, uh, you know, everybody blames it on, on nationalities. That's, that's kind of a bummer. We're stubborn because we're from Germany or we're, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what they say. If you're from America, you're a nut. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but um, uh, but we, we tend to do that, right? If you believe that it's your nature to sin, you will never believe you can mature enough to have victory over that sin. But if the Bible's true and you're a new creature, then we have hope that uh, there is something new in us, someone new in us who's moved in, and we can depend upon him. Have you ever remodeled a house? Ever remodeled a house? Oh, yeah, okay, like a couple. Yes, the, uh, some remodelers there. I just did a little bit of remodeling, and, and we did a lot of painting, and it, it wasn't five minutes after the paint had dried. I won't say who, but someone was running through the house and scrape. Uh, and paint it again you know uh, we got five little kids it's just it's bound to happen uh but what happens you just put another coat over it just put another another coat over it yeah that's not the christian life just put another coat over it you just just puts another coat over it no you are new he didn't just remodel you he crucified the old you and a new you was born in you thoughts on that questions anything on that line 100 percent new so for the rest of your life your flesh your mind physical desires and so forth will war against your new nature fighting for control and this will make you maybe think that your sin nature is still on the throne but it's a lie we have to accept and depend upon reckon upon the reality that i'm a new creature in Christ. Therefore, I'm fighting from victory, not striving for victory. Don't go on the feeling. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times we just say, boy, this doesn't feel true in my life. This just doesn't feel right. It's faith, not a feeling. Romans 7, <clears throat> 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with it, within me, with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would do that I do. And he talks about this war in his members. We've been to this passage before. You say, see, it doesn't seem like I'm a new creature. It doesn't seem like we've got a victory here. There is still that flesh, but you need to notice one word. To will is present with me you see the reference to the matter of his will his new desires the will is evidence of a new nature you know people don't fight a war people don't fight a a battle that uh you, you know that they don't have any care about god gives you the care the will the desire because you're new you know, I've, had, I've counseled with a lot of people who have maybe been doubting their salvation because of their sin. That's a common thing. I've got this sin issue. I just can't kick it. And, oh, it's beating me up. And I just must not be saved. <clears throat> so you, you look at that, and, and, and uh, they, are, they are basically saying, uh, you know, I, I must not be saved because of this behavior. Well, I'll talk to them more and find out that, boy, they're praying about this thing. They're agonizing over this thing. They have, they have 
had sleepless nights over this. And they're praying, God, give me victory and, and all that. And I, I'll tell them, hey, you know, I can't look into your heart and tell you you're saved or lost, but I can tell you this, there does seem to be a will in you that wants victory here. And that's a good sign. That is a good sign. I don't think the devil uh, would give you that. All right? And so if you're convicted, that's a good sign. If there's guilt, that's a good sign. And if you have this desire, as he said, uh, for to will is present with me. If you can at least say that with the Apostle Paul, that is a good sign that there is something going on in you very well uh, that Christ is in you. You are that new creature, but you have been uh, defeated not recognizing your position in Christ, the reality that you are in Christ, fully in Him. Questions on that? Thoughts on that? All right. <clears throat> Again, I want to mention this from the book. Um, the fact that you can still sin does not mean that you don't have a new nature. It simply means that you are not behaving consistent with that new nature. There still is some maturing that needs to take place. But underneath your flesh, there's a new set of desires, and that is the will to be like Jesus. So number one, we are newborn, 100% new creature. 100% new creature. Number two, newborn equals 100% accepted. 100% accepted. On a scale of 1 to 10, if, God, if 10 means God fully accepts you and 1 means you're in big trouble, where do you, how do you rate yourself with God? You don't have to raise your hand or we're not doing this out loud, okay? But on a scale of 1 to 10, does God fully accept you? 1 would be no, 10 would be yes. Uh, another way to ask it would be this, where do you believe you deserve to be rated? Or where do you feel like you rate? Now, if you've been listening, everyone should say, I'm a 10. I'm accepted in Christ based on my birth. But we don't always feel that way, do we? We say, boy, I'm not accepted in Christ. I'm not accepted at church. I'm not accepted by my friends. Uh, I just, I don't fit. If I had a dollar for every time I've had a Christian tell me they don't fit with other Christians, I'd have a lot of dollars. And why is that? We are insecure around each other because we are looking at our behavior, we're comparing our behavior against their behavior, and mine isn't as good and so forth, and, and uh, therefore that insecurity causes doubt. Because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, you and I on that scale of 1 to 10 are a 10. I remember witnessing to my neighbor, and I asked him, are you 100% sure if you died, you go to heaven? He says, no, who can know that? I said, well, I do. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm 100% sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. He said, how could you sit there and be so arrogant? I said, let me tell you, it's not about arrogance. When you hear how I know, it's all about Jesus. And I laid the whole thing out. And he said, oh, I get it. Okay, that wasn't arrogance at all. It's all Jesus. And he got saved there on his porch. That was a, that was a neat, a neat uh, time. Well, the same kind of thing happens in the Christian life. Christian, how do you believe God accepts you on a scale of 1 to 10? 10. Who does he think he is? <laughs> Come on. I know you. What in the world? I know Your wife knows better. Uh, ask your wife what, if you're a 1 to 10. Well, again, we're looking at this as, as a behavioral thing. We are accepted in Christ. And Christ is accepted 100%. And we're in Him. It's by birth. Uh, Ephesians 1 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Accepted. And that's something that people want. Everywhere you go in life, it's just something that God has put in us. We want to be accepted. In high school, we want to be accepted. We want to fit in. In junior high school, and at our job, and at church, and Sunday school, or whatever we're doing, we want to be accepted. Well, God says, with me, it's done. You are accepted. 
we'll move on here. Uh, so your children are, are 100% accepted as, as you are, they are, but their behavior isn't always acceptable to you. So let's look at this again. Behavior keeps coming up. And he brings it up over and over and over in the book. Uh, my kids, their last name is Barber. And there must be something in the blood because every one of my kids have got out the scissors and cut their hair or their siblings' hair. I think every single one of them now. My wife and I were just talking about it. And some of them have done a terrible job. And uh, some of them have not been too bad. They might be a barber. <laughs> I don't know. But I've got a couple of them on camera uh, when, when we caught them cutting hair. And it's like either we either videotape the thing or, you know, don't be so mad that you can't get it on camera, folks. All right. So I got out the camera and it was hilarious. We look at that now and uh, to hear them talk and their babyfied talk and explain why they thought it was a good idea. Uh, the, the behavior is not acceptable, but they're still accepted. And, and that's how it is with the Lord. You could never be more accepted by God than you are right now. Anything you ever do to serve or honor him is never to earn or deserve his acceptance. His work on the cross is what he accepts. It's by his sacrifice that God's grace extends to you in a father-child relationship. Now, however, when my kids cut each other's hair and cut their hair, there was consequences because you can't do that. I mean, it wasn't drastic, but they had to have some kind of consequence. I remember one time we were staying at a church in evangelism. We parked the trailer by the church, and uh, this was a while ago, so I guess this nails, narrows it down which kids this was. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, They went into some classroom, and Sunday school classroom, and the teacher had this big thing full of candy. They grabbed that tub of candy, went underneath the teacher's desk, and just... I went and saw this pile of wrappers. I thought, you guys are going to be sick for weeks, you know. Uh, so we had to deal with that and had to go buy some candy, replenish that for the, for the teacher and all that. Uh, but they're still my kid. The behavior is not acceptable, and we will deal with that. And I don't want anyone to leave this meeting tonight and say, wow, Pastor Robert said behavior's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, well, let's go to the bar. Why not? Hey, uh, that, you've missed it. Behavior is still uh, uh, something that God, okay, God does not like bad behavior. He'll deal with that. He wants us to deal with it, but we're still his kid. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> he made him to be sin for us. He has taken care of our sin. He paid the ultimate price for our behavior. And we are now made righteous in Christ. It's amazing. It's not actually, it's not fair. We're getting a pretty good deal, frankly. Uh, don't ever say, God, it's not fair. Because the only thing that's fair is judgment. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is not done working in us. We're still maturing. We have that new nature. We have acceptance. We have security. And that's the next, the next point. So let's go to that one. <clears throat> Number three, you're 100% secure. 100% secure. Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard <clears throat> the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sounds secure to me. I don't know. It sounds secure. Ephesians 4.30 uses the same uh, terminology. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. That's got both truths in that verse. In other words, God doesn't like sinful behavior, but it's not the behavior that makes us accepted. He says, don't grieve me. You're sealed. <laughs> now, you know, we would almost think it could be the other way. Don't grieve me, I'll break the seal. That's what we would do in our flesh, you know. But that's, that's actually not what he does. And by the way, we need to be so careful 
that we appeal to our kids and to others the way God appeals to us. I have been in the presence of parents because I was a principal and I was a youth evangelist and sometimes things come up and the evangelist and the parent are counseling with the kid. I've been in that situation numerous times. Here I am with this kid and here's the parent. I have heard this before. What are you doing that for? You know, we don't do that. Are you even saved? Those words will kill. I'm glad God doesn't say that in Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Spirit of God. Are you even saved? He says, grieve not the Spirit of God whereby you, you've been sealed under the day of redemption. Don't grieve the one who sealed you. We need to appeal to our children the way God appeals to us. We need to appeal to others that we're working with that might be frustrating us the way God appeals to us. And, and call someone up to their salvation rather than calling it in question. You know, if you don't have the foundational building block in your walk with God that you're saved, then everything else is shaky. And I've been there. If you're wondering, am I saved or lost? Am I secure? Uh, your prayer life is, is having a hard time. Soul winning, victory, every, everything else is having a hard time. That's why I never ever want to take a sledgehammer to that stone in someone's life. Let the Holy Spirit do it if it's not there. In other words, if they're not saved, they don't have that foundation. God can make that clear to them. I'm not going to declare anybody saved. But if, uh, if they have trusted in the Lord as Savior and, and they have professed Christ and they have, they have uh, uh, you know, you know uh, made him their Lord uh, and Savior, I, I tell you, I'm not going to look at their behavior and then call their salvation into question. I rather want to call them up to it. Grieve out the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. Yes. The part with um, in taking um, communion where you can like bring on illness or even death if you take it unworthily. And also, I've heard too that God can take Christians out if they are living in active sin and being poor examples to the world of Christians. Take us out and remove us. Yeah, remove yeah. our earthly being. Right. Because we are in active sin and we are shaming his name. So I think there are still consequences. For without a doubt. If you are a Christian, you without a doubt. on this earth. Right, without a doubt. Uh, it has nothing to do with my security in Christ. But, boy, read Hebrews 12. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son uh, you know, he comes after those that are his, and, and he says, let those that love the Lord depart from iniquity. Um, and yes, I do believe that God can take me out if he sees fit. And if I am, if I am as a Christian, uh, just hurting the cause of Christ and, and turning a, a deaf ear to the word and to the spirit, it is, it is possible that God would just say, you know, John, it's time to it's time to remove you from this scene, uh, heaven forbid, but it could happen. So yeah, we still need to, uh, you mentioned communion. That's about fellowship in that specific ordinance that God says, you know, this is about remembrance of me. So let's take care of this sin before, that's between us, before you sit here at my feet remembering me. It just, it just makes sense. If I'm going to go on a date night with my wife and have this communion with my wife, and we've got a reservation somewhere, a babysitter, and everything's just perfect. And yet, we had a nasty argument before I walk out the door to work. And I'm coming home from work, and we're going to go. It makes no sense to go to that meal and have this communion together without taking care of that. You know? And that's the same idea with, with uh, what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 11. Take care of those, those issues. That's sin. Yes. 
or I've just been thinking about in the verses with the, um, if you love me, keep my commandments, and all the things you've been saying since. That idea of discipleship, or being a disciple, because a person can be saved, but if they're not a disciple, you can kind of feel disconnected, whereas a disciple of the Lord, you're, you know, if you're in that student-teacher relationship, you feel accepted and connected, and I don't know, I mean, we see people saved, and I'm kind of just thinking out loud here, but we see people get saved, and then, and then they're sort of just still doing whatever, rather than someone, you know, where the Lord says, be my disciple. I don't, I don't know. I always thought that that wasn't necessarily talking about get saved, you're already saved, but be my right. disciple. There's Some people equate the two, that, you know, that, but yes, salvation happens, then you need to become a disciple. Um, right. You naturally grow. It's like a teacher and a student. You naturally grow closer together. And then some of those insecurities aren't as much there because you're, you're connected. Right. <laughs> in a way that's, you know, not just um, saved, but I'm over here. I'm Absolutely. The and think of Jesus with his disciples, all the insecurities they had, all the messes they made, and yet he stuck with them and discipled them all the way through. You know what? I was so frustrated to me in evangelism. We would go in and have a youth rally, and people would always tell me, they didn't want, they, they didn't want me to get disappointed because it's not going to be as good this week here as it was last week there because you don't, you've never been to such and such a town. Everybody thinks their town is the hardest town on planet Earth. I, I, everywhere. And so preacher, we just to tell you, you know, we've had youth things before. We've never had more than 10 kids show up. Nobody gets saved, you know. Well, we have 75 kids show up, 15 get saved, and they're kind of like, whoa, what, what in the world? And we sit down, what, what just happened here? But then it's kind of like this. They go, well, wait, well, let's see, let's see though, if this is for real. So we got 15 kids who just got saved. They're just, they have no home life that'll help them with the Lord. They have nothing going for them. And here's the response of the people. We'll see if they're really saved. Let's see if they're disciples. And you stand over here and watch. And that's not how discipleship has ever worked. Ever. It's like, okay, so we think that they got saved. Maybe we hope they got saved. They said they got saved. Uh, you know what? Let's just give it the benefit of the doubt. Let's say, hey, do you want to walk together with me? And let's be disciples on this journey. And you get to see what God is doing. And maybe some of them didn't get saved. Maybe if you get over here and walk with them three, four weeks down into it, you say, you know what? I don't think you understood. Let's go back to the, you know, to the beginning and help that individual. Because uh, it's not automatic that, that you just get saved and all of a sudden everything just comes together. There needs to be that walk. Some good points there. We have one last point and I, I'm at the time. So newborn, 100%. Uh, what was the, the last one there? Secure. Yes, we are secure in Christ. He cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy 2 says. And number four, and we're done, uh, newborn equals 100% new potential. You have unbelievable potential because of the, the new nature, the, 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 the union with Christ, his spirit in you. And I don't have time to go through all the passages there. We did read them already once in 2 Peter. As a newborn creature, you have amazing potential to grow and mature. You're a partaker of the divine nature, Second Peter says. Divine nature, a partaker. Think about that. That's huge. Expressing that nature and growing into the image of Jesus is now the journey of the rest of our life. And there may be some ups and downs, there may be some setbacks, it might be slow going at times, but we have all the potential that we need for spiritual maturity. It's already in us, in Jesus. <clears throat> now, one thing I think it's important on this lifelong journey is be careful about comparing yourself with everybody else's journey. And, and sometimes we, we really get ourselves in a pickle because we're not content to go at the pace God's leading us and we're not enjoying and thankful for what God's doing in our life and, and we, we compare. Be careful of that. Did you ever, as a kid, always compare yourself with the older group? And you're always looking forward to get... Okay, here's my testimony. I'm, I'm the second born. Uh, my older brother is about six foot 
three, maybe six two. I'm six foot five. I really believe I willed every inch of that. Like I wanted to, I always wanted to catch my brother, catch him, catch him, catch him, catch him. I mean, if you could will yourself to be taller, I think I did it. And, and I was trying to catch his friends and uh, we'd go over to friend's house and of course there's one my age and there was one his age, Charles and James. James was my age, Charles was Nathan's age. Whatever James and I were doing, I always thought it was not as cool as what Charles and Nathan were doing because they were older. I spent my whole childhood wanting to be a grade older or two. Couldn't wait to get into junior high. And then junior high wasn't cool because all the junior hires I was wanting to be like were in high school. Oh, they, isn't that funny how they're always ahead of you? So now I can't wait to be in high school. And then they're all gone. Now I'm, I'm a senior. I don't want to be a senior. I, what, what do you do? I, I'm too used to chasing seniors. Now I'm a senior. I told this to my kids. Enjoy where God has you. Enjoy every part of the journey that you're on. And, and don't be robbed by always trying to be what someone else is doing. And it's the same in the Christian life. You have all the potential that you need for maturity, but you're going to mature at your own pace. God is working on you with all of your baggage or all of your insecurities or whatever comes with you. And there's a lot that comes with each of us. You don't hurry it up. Just let God do his work. James 1.4, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect, that means complete, and entire, wanting nothing. So bottom line, if you don't believe that you're a new creature, you're going to have problems in the Christian life. You've got to believe, I'm a new creature, therefore I have uh, security. I have acceptance. I am genuinely new. I have power over uh, the, 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 the temptation to sin. And I have uh, potential in Christ. The first, accept, uh, the first step to really enjoying Jesus is to know who you are in him and accept your new identity. I am accepted in Christ. All right, a couple of verses there to close with. Ephesians 2.13, we'll close with that. I'm sorry, Ephesians, uh, yeah, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Ye who were sometimes, or at some time, you were far off, now you're made nigh by the blood of Christ. Don't let anyone or anything uh, dull that reality. We are his by birth, not by behavior. Once we have that, now God can help us with that behavior and make us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus. Final thoughts? We'll wrap it up here. Yes, Brad. I give a, a testimony. Yeah. It's kind of the first, first point, but a couple of them as well. But there was a situation at work that and, uh, all, the, all those around me and my team toward a common goal. And the circumstances were such that everyone else was kind of dropping the ball. And the rising pressure of getting through that situation was perceived anyway as falling on me. And so it was a frustrating circumstance. And I found myself like, well, I'm a Christian, so I can't show any frustration here. <laughs> and so I like put together this mustard hollow effort of like, I'm cool, calm, and collected, even though on the inside I'm just about ready to pop. <laughs> and we get through the situation, but I just have no peace over the, the circumstance or the, even the outcome that I'm okay. And um, the Lord uses 2 Corinthians 5.17, just kind of mulling that over. Like, the, uh, I'm, I'm a new person. That's not even me. Wow. And, uh, like, the Lord was really impressed with my effort to contain myself. <laughs> you know huh. what I'm um, and then, what a what squandered opportunity to, I could have emptied myself and allowed him to demonstrate mm. like a real calm, mm. a real peace in the storm. And so, it was just kind of a neat recent experience has been pretty helpful. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Great. God brought that verse to your mind in that moment. And may God help us to uh, reckon that to be, to be true in our lives daily. I'm a new creature and I have what I need in Christ. I'm accepted in him. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us to constantly show us uh, the truths that we need to grow and mature. Thank you, Lord, that we are newborn. We are new creatures now accepted in you, secure with new potential. 
I pray that we would not allow Satan to uh, rob us of the joy and peace that is ours by birthright. Thank you for that, Lord. Give us uh, grace this week to trust you and walk with you and give us safety, I pray, in the way home. And again, Lord, we pray for Pastor Dell that you would help him and whatever he's facing. And also Roger Reynolds, we pray that you'd uh, strengthen him now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.